This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 110. Today's episode is all about building, protecting, and clearing your energy. I think that when you love and honor who you really are, then you are honest with yourself and you want to be in an honest relationship with another person, which means that you have to be aware of how they're talking to you and how they're treating you and how they respect you. And a lot of women have this ongoing pattern of always getting involved with people who are using them. And it's because they don't love themselves and they think that they have to be used, that that to them is love. So they have to be able to stand back and take a long, hard look at why they believe that and then really understand what it is that they're looking for within themselves before they can go into an honest relationship. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. They say that women often have a difficult time asking for what they need. Well, not today, friends, because I'm asking if Mind Love has helped you at all, please leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. They're so helpful to the growth of this show. And I want to give a shout out to Cece Brooks, who left an amazing review for me last week. She wrote, I often have a little trouble discovering self-love podcasts that really speak to me. I go through tons of podcasts, trying to find ones that call me out, slap me in the face, and get me back on track of this journey of enlightenment and purpose. Mind Love came in my life at the perfect time. I finally stumbled across this podcast, and I'm about 10 episodes deep. I have never written a review on a podcast before, but I felt called to do so with this podcast. Please give it a listen, ladies and gents. Jump in wherever, even if it's just in the morning while doing your makeup or grabbing your cup of coffee. This show did so much for me that I didn't even know it could. Take the first step on your mindfulness journey, or if you're like me, get back on track. Thank you, Melissa, for all of your help, and I love that I feel that even though I've never met you, you're a soul sister. Happy listening. Oh my gosh, you guys, that review totally left my soul tingling, and it's comments like that that make all the hard work totally worth it. So thanks again, Cece. If you want a shout out on the podcast too, go ahead and leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Hi, friends and wild minds. Today, we're diving back into our energy fields. A lot of you have told me how much you're affected by other people's negative energies. So I'm going to be addressing this in particular from a few different angles over the next few months. We already did an episode on what it means to be an empath. I did that one first because those are the people that need it the most. They're affected by it the most. They actually absorb people's energies. Next, back in episode 106, we tackled it from the totally practical side when we learned how to have more productive disagreements. Well, now I'm going to address it from a spiritual angle. This episode has its moments of woo-woo, but it also has some really practical advice regardless of where you are on the woo scale, as I call it. (laughs) I love pushing my boundaries of beliefs because it helps me be a more open-minded and accepting person. I think we often have this tendency to put up our wall of skepticism, but regardless of if you actually go all in with a particular belief system, there's always something to be learned. 
And now some things that I thought were totally far-fetched the first time I heard them now seem pretty reasonable. Well, energy healing was one of those things. I remember the first time somebody told me about Reiki and I actually observed a session. I thought, yeah, right. You're telling me you're working with something invisible without touching them. So there's no proof that anything's been done and no way to even really argue that. (laughs) It felt like total BS. But then I had a session and I couldn't deny that I felt a shift. So I dug deeper, so deep that I even got certified in it, and now I don't even question it. You see, thought is energy. Thoughts create a ripple effect that create feelings and emotions and actions, and it even manifests into form. When we set an intention, it sets that energy into action. Well, think about this. You know that you can feel energy. You said yourselves that you're affected by people's negative energies. A lot of us can really feel those subtle energies. You walk into a heated argument and most of us can feel that tension. Some people, maybe not. Maybe they're the totally oblivious guy that walks right in, interrupts the convo and asks if there's any A1 sauce for the chicken wings and everyone's like, Kyle, put down the chicken and pick up a little relational awareness. But the moment people start snapping at each other and everyone's in a bad mood, then suddenly Kyle's like, oh, hey, did I miss something? Did something happen before I walked in? Well, that's because that negative energy has started to manifest into behavior. But it all starts with a thought, which is energy. When we really connect the idea that thoughts are energy, we can open our mind to the fact that directing our thoughts direct a subtle field of energy that we can't see. Well, most of us can't see. So that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Atherton Drenth. She's a clairvoyant, a medical intuitive, and a holistic energy practitioner. She's also the author of a book called Intuitive Dance. And three key things we will learn are what fear cords are and how to cut them, how to deal with emotional blackmail, and how to protect yourself from negative or unwanted energies. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the Morning Mind Love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Atherton Drenth to the show. Thank you very much. It's my honor to be here. So to start out, what's your story? How did you become a medical intuitive? And for those who don't know, what is that? Well, I had a very unusual journey. I had no idea what it meant to be a medical intuitive or what energy work was. And then 20 years ago, after struggling with my health for most of my life, I had a near-death experience. And as a result of that, I had been strongly encouraged to see a young man by the name of Larry Steele, who did energy work. And when I arrived in his office, I almost walked out. I was so skeptical about what I saw because I'm trained as a medical technologist and energy work was totally outside of my purview. And 
When I got up on the table, the minute he touched me, I knew that he knew what was wrong with me, and he did. He told me what was wrong, and it was confirmed by biopsy uh, days later. And I was an undiagnosed uh, celiac. I was 45 years old. I was 95 pounds. Um, I hadn't been able to work for two months. The doctors told me that it was the worst case of undiagnosed celiacs that they had ever encountered, that it would be at least two years before I would go back to work. And this young man had me back at work in three and a half months. And over the course of that three-month treatment, we got to talking. And then one day he said to me that I was really intuitive. And I remember just smiling at him knowingly because I never really talked about my intuition. I, I sort of learned to keep it to myself. And then he said that he could train me to do what he did. And at first I thought he was nuts. And, and I thought about it for two months. And then I finally agreed to go through the training. And it took a year. And I opened up my own practice and had a full-time practice in three months. So, you know, the rest, they say, is history. What does it mean to be a medical intuitive? Well, there are many different types of medical intuition. We're all familiar with uh, uh, Carolyn Mace, who is one of the premier medical intuitives in the world. And she can look at the body and look at what's wrong with your body physically. The type of medical intuitive I am is I look more for the blocks in the entire energy field. We know that if you get blocks in your energy field, you can have problems physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And my job is to go in and find out where those blocks are. So I see myself as being a guide on people's healing journeys. I walk beside them. I don't do anything the mind can't handle and the body can't accept. The body's very wise. It knows exactly what it needs. And I'm just here to uh, listen to that. And what ends up happening is when we find the blocks in the body, in the energy field, what we're doing is we're pulling them into consciousness so the person can take a look at what that block is, and then they can change their mind, change their belief, or form formulate a different uh, course of action in order to pursue uh, health for themselves. I love that explanation because I know for a lot of people in the very beginning of starting to understand intuition, they're like, well, tell me the future. And it's never really about that. It's about, well, this is where you're at now. And these are the choices that you can make to divert what the future could be. Is that right? Well, there's a difference between being a psychic and being an intuitive. And a psychic can read a person's energy field at that moment in time and tell them what their future would look like from that moment in time. Whereas with intuition, what we're doing is we are looking at where the body is going. So it's not a psychic prediction. It's not telling people what to do. It's a listening and transcribing for them what's happening in their energy field, which is completely different. So... When you are actually looking at somebody and getting a sense for where their blocks are, what does that feel like to you? Or what are you sensing? Is it visual? Is it a feeling? Well, it depends. For me, it's visual. And I also will feel things and hear things. So I will, uh, after I have permission to connect to a person's energy field, because I don't work on anybody without uh, verbal permission. And once I have that permission and from the body, then I will ask the body to show path. If a person has come in with, say, they're having problems with their knees, uh, once I have received permission to take a look at the knees, then I will listen to the story that the knees will have to tell me. For example, one woman came in and she was having a great deal of difficulty walking and both of her knees were very stiff. Nothing was helping her resolve her knee pain. And yet when I went into her knees, all I heard was up, down, up, down, up, down. So I relayed that to her. I said, why am I hearing up, down, up, down? And she says, well, I'm up and down off my knees all the time. I've been laying a new floor and I bruised my knees. And then she's never given them a chance to heal. 
So once we addressed that and removed that blockage, then her knees healed very quickly. (laughs) I feel like the universe is speaking to me because I've been having an issue with my knee. (laughs) Well, you talk about four different types of intuition, and it's been a little while since we've done an episode specifically on this. So for those who don't know, what are the four types of intuition? Certainly. So there's four different types of intuition. The first is clairvoyant, which is clear seeing, which is what I am predominantly. The next is uh, claircognizant, which is just knowing without knowing. It's called hunches. The next is clairaudient, which is hearing voices, which is the one you generally don't tell people that you hear voices because that gets you into trouble. And then the last is uh, clairsentience, which is clear feeling. With a clear audience, you're seeing images in your mind. They're like little movies. I don't know if you remember the eight ball. It was sort of like a little game that you could buy. And it was looked like a bowling ball with a number eight on it. And you would ask a question and shake it and then turn it upside down. And the answer would appear. Yes, Uh, That's the way it is for me as a clairvoyant. For people with claircognizance, they just know without knowing why they know. They get strong hunches. Men have a tendency to be predominantly claircognizant. They just seem to know that this direction is north. And if I turn right here, I won't get lost. The clear audience is the easiest because you're actually hearing things dictated to you by your guides or the body. Body speaks in very simplistic language, by the way. And then the clairsentience, they feel other people's pain. So they get what we call body cues. Clairsentience is the most predominant in women. Women are very empathetic and uh, great feelers, but they also have the greatest difficulty in the fact that they are like little human Velcros. They, they pick up everybody's emotions and it can kind of mess you up a little bit because when you feel other people's emotions, you can think you've either caused it, created it or need to fix it. So that is in a nutshell what the four different types of intuition are. Everybody has all four, but everybody will have one that is more dominant than the others. So for me, I'm predominantly uh, clairvoyant, and then I'm claircognizant and clairaudient. For me, clairsentience is the lowest on the scale, which is one of the reasons why I put the test inside the book that I did, so people could determine what type of an intuitive they were and also find out what their most dominant intuitive ability was. Because what I have found in my own journey is once you have found out what your predominant intuitive ability is, and you focus in just on that one ability, it helps you to get comfortable with it, it helps you to develop it, and then you're able to use it more effectively so that when the other three come into play, you're not so frightened by it. So what is the difference between clairsentient and an empath? We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MindLove. So what is the difference between clairsentient and an empath? Well, an empath is a very highly sensitive clairsentient. So they are not only able to feel people's emotions inside their own body, but it really throws them for a loop because it hits them like a shock wave. So they're wide open. So they're much more sensitive than the typical clairsentient, which would be the easiest way to describe that. So I ask because I just recently did an episode on empaths and I read Empath Survival Guide because in the last few years, I've been coming to terms with that's what my issue is. And I say issue because until now, it seemed like a problem. Like I just thought my moods were all over the place. People could bring me down very easily. I'd walk into a room, walk out in a totally different mood. And now that I'm understanding, I read that book and I checked almost every single box. And so I'm currently on the journey of trying to get a handle on my empathicness and turn them from sensitivities into more of a gift. So I'm curious for you, when you were back first with this medical intuitive. And he said, Hey, I can teach you these things. And you thought he was crazy. Between that, now you said you're a clairaudient. Is that what you said? Or visual? I'm a clairvoyant, which means that my intuition is very visual. So when I am connecting to a person's energy field, I'll see movies. I will see the story. I'll watch the story in the body. And then I will relay that back to the, the client. Okay. So There was a point where at first you thought him being able to teach you this was crazy all the way to the point of being able to actually learn this skill and see things. And I'm sure you would have picked up on the fact that you were seeing things before. So what was that journey between not having that ability and really coming into it in your fullness? Well, you know, being recognized as an intuitive by this young man gave me permission to finally acknowledge it publicly because I was very fortunate in the fact that the family I was born into, they were all very highly intuitive and psychic. So when I had visions and saw angels as a child, and I would go to my mother and say, oh, you know, I'm seeing this, that, and the other thing, she would say, oh, how lovely. This is what this is. Why don't you go play? So it was never treated with fear or suspicion. It was always treated with respect and an openness. I've had visions off and on all my life. I would know things when I touched people 
My parents had to teach me how to keep my mouth shut because I would just blurt things out all the time. It made me the weird kid in high school. It made me not very popular in the workforce. I can remember managers calling me in after meetings and and saying to me, I don't know what you do in the room, but you need to stop whatever that is. And I never really understood what that was. I just knew that I knew that. And that was just part of who I was. And being trained as a medical intuitive gave me the language, gave me the permission and showed me how I could manage it and how I could use it as a gift to help other people, which was just so beautiful when I discovered that I could actually use it to help people. Like it was just amazing. Well, another thing that I love about your techniques is I have brought up before on the show about protecting our energy, but you have different phases of building your energy, protecting your energy and clearing your energy. So I'd love to go through each of those so that people actually know, because I surveyed my audience a couple of weeks ago, and the most common challenge was protecting their energy. People were affected by negative energy from around them. So I wanted to make sure I hit this on all angles. And like I said, I recently did the empath episode, but I wanted to make sure that I touched on the people that don't necessarily identify with a full-blown empath because just because you're not a full-blown empath doesn't mean you're not empathic and doesn't mean that you aren't affected by other people's negativity. So let's start Mm -hmm. with building your energy. What are the main steps to really building your energy first? Okay, so I think you bring up a very important point. First of all, recognizing that you're an empath and that you can pick up on other people's emotions. The, the first step to building up that layer of protection is to ask yourself, and it's always the first question I always have empaths ask themselves, is this mine or does it belong to somebody else? So if you suddenly feel sadness, your first question to yourself should be, is this in fact my sadness or am I feeling this sadness from someone else? Once you start to identify what is yours and what isn't yours, it makes it so much easier for you to cope. The next thing is understanding that if you are feeling somebody else's sadness, for example, you need to be aware of the fact that you didn't cause them to feel sadness. You haven't created their sadness and they sure haven't asked you to fix their sadness. So what you can do as an empath is do what you do so naturally, and that is to be present with an open heart and just send them love. So that those are the first steps. The next step is learning that you have different levels of protection. So there is the white light of protection, which is the ultimate go-to of blocking everything so that you're not picking up anything. Empaths really struggle with that because it's like making them blind. They're very used to feeling their environments and they live their environment through their feelings. So if when you teach them the white light of protection, it really sends them for a loop because it makes them feel like they've been cut off. What I've learned with the white light of protection is once you're in it, you can mandate that the outer edge of your aura, once it's filled with the white light of protection, is to fill it with the pink light of divine love so that you can still feel people and people can still feel you, but they can't attach or connect, like they can't get into your energy field. The next is learning how to put up shields. If you feel that you're walking into an environment where there's a possibility of a threat, then it's learning to put up your shields. And you can pull your shields up or you can drop them down. And you can do that just with intent. Once you have figured out what your shields look like, whether that be uh, armor or a mirror, then you can just call on it at a moment's notice. The next is learning how to cloak. When I'm out in public, I'm cloaked, which means that I don't want to feel other people's stuff. 
So my cloak is, again, an exercise that's in my book. It's very easy to do. And I just use the words cloak on, cloak off. And when I'm out in public and I have my cloak on, uh, people can see me and I can see them, but I'm not reading them and they can't read me, which is just fine. So those are the different levels of energetic protection that you can create for yourself. So most of these things are mainly visualizations. Why are visualizations so powerful? Because I know for the skeptic that comes in, they might be like, well, all you're doing is imagining something. How is this real? So where does the power lie in that? Thought always follows intent. So when you create a thought, so it shall be. That's God's law. As it is above, so it shall be below. So it's a spiritual principle just put into practice. And even if you don't really feel it, but you think it, it's still going to be there. I tell people all the time, even if you feel like you're imagining or pretend, know that it's really there. And the more you practice, the better you get at it. So what about when you are actually having to be engaged with these people? Maybe it's more like an actual negative energy of somebody toxic in your life or somebody with a negative attitude that you live with right now, or somebody's in a really bad mood and you have to continue the interaction. Is it as simple as visualizing the cloak or the white shield of light? Or what are the steps that you take to actually disengage with them? No. So I will do the white light of protection and just make the outside pink so that I can still be present and in love and they can still see me and they can feel me. They just can't get to me. They can't attack. Sometimes I will put up my shields. It still means that you can engage. It's just that whatever they're sending at you energetically is just going to bounce back against them. And with uh, cloaking is always interesting, especially when you're in public, because when I first learned how to cloak, I had a hood and I would put my hood up and I would have a heck of a time getting any customer service if I went into a store. So I had to learn to leave the hood down so people could at least see me, but I wouldn't get affected by their emotions. That's so interesting. It's the power of intention and just mindset and thought is so intriguing. It's like the deeper I go down the rabbit hole, (laughs) the more I want to learn. Yes. So one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is about past relationships. And it's interesting because I can tell that even with the ones that I've physically cut off, which I've had to do quite a bit in the last couple of years, well, it's not like there was so many negative people in my life. It's just that I was holding on to a couple and I finally let them all go around the same time. Yes. But there's still this, it feels like an energetic connection that I'm trying to figure out how to fully get rid of. Like they might still pop up in my thoughts or maybe I'll question my judgment if that's how I should have handled it quite often. And I've was talking to actually a listener on Instagram and she had the exact same problem. So I was like, Well, that's actually something that I've been thinking about, too. So let me bring this up on an episode. Is that still some sort of energetic tie or an energetic connection? Or is that just that we need to get a handle on our thoughts? Well, first of all, our egos are little recorders. So it's it's going to remember all sorts of things and just loves to pull those up as little reminders just to keep us on our toes. But what you're talking about in my world, I call them fear cords. And you can develop fear cords with, they're very common between parents and their children. You can have them with spouses, you can have them with colleagues, and you can form them with with friends. They can be very toxic. They can be as fine as a thread, or they can be as thick as tree trunks. There are ways of removing uh, fear cords. 
there is uh, an exercise in my book, The Intuitive Dance, on how you can cut fear cords with Archangel Michael, which I do every single day. I call in Archangel Michael and I have him cut fear cords with everyone I've been in contact on that day. It clears a lot of the static. Angels don't cut love cords. They only take out the fear. The I have a procedure in my book that's called fear cord removal, which is incredibly powerful. I have seen that turn toxic relationships around on a dime, meaning that, for example, if a woman has been involved in a very toxic marriage and she's filed for divorce and she just can't seem to shake loose of her partner, we do a fear cord removal and all of a sudden the court case is solved. I even had one situation where a woman who had fought her husband for 10 years for a divorce, after we did the fear cord removal, she accidentally ran into him in a restaurant and he didn't even recognize her. So there are different levels of fear cords. And if they're particularly toxic, I find that doing the fear cord removal that I have uh, listed in my book, and I have that full procedure in my book, is incredibly effective. The thing to remember is it doesn't remove the love cords. So if you are having to remove a fear cord between you and a parent, for example, it's not going to take away the love. It's only going to remove the fear. Oh, so that is an important distinction because I feel like a lot of people think that cutting the cords of a relationship means that you have to cut off the entire relationship. But you're saying that we can actually cut off almost seems like different patterns or different energies that are flowing between the two relationships. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's a big difference. You see, there's three different types of energy that comes into the human body. The first one is the one that comes in through the belly button. That's called the silver cord of life. And that's between the person and the divine. And nobody touches that. That is totally outside of the purview because it's between you and the divine. The uh, second type of cord are love cords. And we have love cords with anybody who's important or special to us. And then we have fear cords. And like I say, fear cords are very easily made. They're very common between parents and their children. I know how to deal with them, and yet I still make them with my kids, and now I'm a grandma. So grandma does a lot of uh, cord cutting from time to time. (laughs) And it's important to understand the different level of them. And you can pick up the static. You can pick up the fear from the telephone repairman, and he's had a bad day, and you don't realize it. Or, you know, if you're on the bus every day, you can be picking up other people's emotions. So it's so handy to, to do this exercise with Archangel Michael and just get him to clear off the static. I have one mom who has three very highly empathic children. And they didn't really like the sword that Archangel Michael used. They thought that was a bit on the violent side. So they use a feather duster. And so when they get home from school every day, mom pulls out her special angel feather duster and she dusts them down for the day so that they can have a peaceful evening, which I thought was brilliant. (laughs) That's so funny. Like three different times in this interview so far, I've thought of something and then you started to tell a story that related. And I was going to ask, (laughs) You know, because it's so interesting how so much of this intuitive stuff I so wish I learned when I was young because I feel like I am catching up or undoing all of the beliefs that I formed over time that kind of cut me off from abilities. And so I was going to ask if you were raising children, what certain practices would you have given them to actually nurture these gifts instead of disempower them? And then you started telling this story about a feather duster. (laughs) I thought it was so interesting. (laughs) So how else would you recommend that we start to get more in touch with our intuition? And this is a question I've asked other intuitives on the show, but I find that everyone has their unique perspective. And it's just like asking somebody, how do you recommend growing your business? Or what are your investing strategies? And everyone has their own unique flair to it. There's not just one way. So how do you recommend building up our intuitive side? 
And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. building up our intuitive side. The one thing I think that I think is really important is learning how to ground. And I teach a very powerful grounding technique called the vertical axis, which grounds you into heaven and earth at the same time. Because when you're grounded, you are more in touch with your inner divine. And when you can get in touch with your inner divine, you are able to more easily handle that ego voice that we also lovingly refer to as our inner crazy because our ego body is a part of us and it's not something that can be removed or destroyed, but it is something that you can learn how to manage. And when you are grounded and when you are using your intuition, which I think is a gift from the divine, you're able to turn into looking at the ego voice and, and starting to question where those beliefs came from. And once you start to unravel where those beliefs really came from, then it's much easier to reduce the stress and anxiety in your life when you're grounded and to develop your intuitive abilities. So when I'm talking to people, that's always the first thing I teach them. It is teaching them how to ground and go into the vertical axis. The next thing I teach people is learning how to cut cords with everybody they've been in touch with at the end of the day. And then the third thing that I do is I teach people how to manage their dream time. Because so often, especially for sensitives, intuitives and empaths, they are so busy feeling during the day and trying to be of service during the day that they don't realize that they're still working very hard at nighttime because they go into the dream time and they try to fix those things that they couldn't fix during the day. And that's not what we were meant to do. I mean, God invented night and day for a reason. He invented sleep for a reason. 
the dream time management technique is learning how to manage your dream time more effectively so that you wake up fully rested, restored, and renewed without feeling like you've been fighting battles all night and waking up exhausted. I call those the three simple things, actually. Okay. So dream time management, I would love to get more into. I recently did an episode on sleep, and I mentioned that for some reason in the last few weeks, I've been having nightmares, but they're not terrifying. They're like really (laughs) mundane nightmares. (laughs) Like my computer will crash or I'll all of a sudden get into an argument with somebody I haven't seen in 20 years. Just But things that feel very emotionally draining Mm -hmm. and I've been waking up like I've been dealing with it. So what are those steps to clear ourselves before we... The first thing to recognize is that we all dream. Whether we remember our dreams or not, we do dream. We actually leave our bodies and we go up into what's called the astral plane. And the astral plane is a very real place. And what most people do is when they go into the dream time, when they sleep, is they go into what's called the lower levels of the astral plane. And that's where all the funky, crazy stuff happens. You know, you walk into a bar and there's an elephant having a beer with a duck. But it's also where we're going to try to resolve the conflicts that we have dealt with during the day, our frustrations or uh, the arguments that we've had with a coworker. And what we don't realize is that we are being given permission to move into what's called the higher level of the astral plane, which is where we can receive direction at a spiritual level from our guides, from the angels and from the divine. So what I say to people is every night after you've cut cords with everybody, You set the intent to have, I use Archangel Michael, but you can use any of the archangels or Mother Mary or the Lord Jesus. And you ask them to, when you enter the dream time, if they would escort you to the higher levels of spiritual consciousness in the astral plane to receive a spiritual instruction and to wake up in every morning fully rested, restored and renewed. And in my own life, I've had found that to be particularly powerful If you're worried about a person or a thing, I hand it over to the angels and say, you know, I have this concern about a child or a situation, and I hand this over to you and let me know what the solution is in the morning. And in the meantime, if you could work on me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, so that I wake up fully rested and restored in the morning. Amen. And it works. So I keep reading stuff, and this is going to go far into the woo-woo, but about how alcohol basically opens us up for negative energies, that we lose our protective mechanisms. I want to do a whole episode on it, but I'm not ready. (laughs) So I'm curious, does this technique still work if you have, say, two glasses of wine at night asking for a friend? (laughs) Uh, Yes, it does. (laughs) Well, the other thing you mentioned was really assessing your beliefs and where Mm. they came from. What do you think is the most common belief that we have as people that really hold us back from living our fullest potential or our happiest lives? That we are unlovable. I would have to say that that would be the biggest thing. That we are not worthy of love, that it's unacceptable to be loved. To me, that would be the biggest answer. So where do you think that comes from? Because so many of us do come from parents who love us and who try their hardest, but so many of us still have these self-worth issues and these unlovable issues. So why is that? Well, you know, as much as our parents love us and as much as we are loved by partners, we still see it modeled that we're not really sure if we can accept love. And basically, theosophy teaches that there are only two emotions. There is love and there is fear. And we are so consumed by 
fear, and there are two different types of fear. There's legitimate fear and there's manufactured fear. We are so embroiled in the fear and we hear it so often that we all, we believe that it's the truth. So it cuts us off from love. And when you don't see it modeled, as much as your parents can love you, but you can see the worry in their faces or you can see or you hear the fear statements. Now, be careful. Don't do this or don't do that. We engage more with fear than we do with love. So then deep down, we are always, I believe, deeply a fear that we are totally unlovable. Right. And I feel like so many of us either came from or we ourselves have these really screwed up ways of showing love sometimes. And I think we are all guilty of it, at least at some point in our lives are guilty of it, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not. And there's a term that you use that really resonated called emotional blackmail. Now, how would you define that? Certainly. So emotional blackmail is the most insidious form of emotional abuse that you can come across. And it is any statement that disempowers you and forces you to do something against your will. They are emotional put downs that make you feel powerless and ineffective. They are an emotional tool used by somebody who feels totally unlovable And they will do anything to get you to do what they want you to do. Do you think most people are aware when they're actually emotional blackmailing or is it just their patterns of behavior? Well, that's a good question because we are all emotional blackmailers at one point or another, and I'm no different. But then there are people who are insidious blackmailers. So narcissists, for example, or people who are sociopaths, they're masters of being able to slip it into every conversation. And they thrive on it. They need it. They need uh, the people around them to be completely disempowered because they need their power. Emotional blackmail is statements like, well, if you don't do this, then obviously you don't love me. If you continue to do that, then obviously you don't care. If you don't do what we want you to do, we're going to disown you. It's always that little threat that you are going to be ostracized or unloved if you don't do what that person wants you to do. And we all fall victim to it. It's just because we are always deeply afraid that we are unlovable. Right. And then it leads to major codependency, (laughs) which is a whole nother story. (laughs) It's, It's interesting to me, though, because so narcissists have been coming up quite a lot on the podcast. I'm not sure why, but <laughs> but it really feels like they're like the universal villain. It's like, oh, anyone can be fixed except for a narcissist. Anyone can learn to love except for a narcissist. We know that everything happens for a reason and that there's divine timing and intervention. What the heck are narcissists for? Well, I think they certainly are teaching us how easy it is to be manipulated by another person's mindset. I think that they are also a strong lesson to us on a spiritual level of how easy it is to be driven and manipulated by fear. And I think it's an opportunity for us to be able to step back and say, am I going to love myself enough to no longer allow myself to be managed and controlled by fear? Right. And so I guess the worst thing that could happen is if we came back as a narcissist in a lifetime. (laughs) Well, we all have our soul lessons and we really don't know what a soul is looking to learn by what they're going through in their life. So when you find yourself in a position where you're either being emotionally blackmailed or you are 
in a relationship with a narcissist. There's so many steps that happen when you get fed up and you're like, I have to do things differently. Do you Mm -hmm. think it's easier or how do you make sure that you don't fall into that same trap again? For me, when I left my relationship with a narcissist who I fully believe is a sociopath, but that's not my claim to make. It was an especially vulnerable time immediately afterwards. And I'm glad that it just happened that I didn't get into a relationship, but it took me a while to really see what had happened. So do you have any tips for making sure you don't fall into that again? Well, I find that for women, especially, and this applies to men as well. I think that we go into relationship the wrong way. So I say to people that there's two ways of going into relationship. The first is if you somebody is paying attention to you, then their first response would be, oh, then I need to make them happy. I have to do whatever they need, whatever they want to keep them happy. That is love. The other is when you meet somebody and they show an interest in you, to me, the intelligent, loving response is, let's see if you fit. You know, we go into relationship wanting it to be honest and open, but when you do the response of, I'll... I have to do everything I can to keep you happy, then you're not being honest. And then you're surprised when all of a sudden they can't give you what you want because you've never been honest with them in the first place. And I hope I'm not making that too complicated. No, that makes sense. You have to love yourself enough to say, you know, this, what you see is what you get. And if you ask me a question, you're going to get an honest answer. And if you're saying something that I'm not sure about, then I'm going to lovingly push back on that and then see how they respond. And if I get that sort of a nasty pushback or that emotional blackmail kind of pushback, then, you know, flags up. I'm not going to waste my time here. I went on a lot of first dates, a lot of first dates, because I think that when you love and honor who you really are, then you are honest with yourself and you want to be in an honest relationship with another person, which means that you have to be aware of how they're talking to you and how they're treating you and how they respect you. And if you've been in a narcissistic relationship, I say to women especially, you have got to give yourself the space to heal and figure out how you got trapped in that relationship in the first place. Because we don't fall in love. We need love on an equal basis. And a lot of women have this ongoing pattern of always getting involved with people who are using them. And it's because they don't love themselves and they think that they have to be used, that that to them is love. So they have to be able to stand back and take a long, hard look at why they believe that and then really understand what it is that they're looking for within themselves before they can go into an honest relationship. But that's my personal opinion. Oh, that one hit home for me. I wish somebody had told that to my 16-year-old through 26-year-old self. (laughs) She needed that one. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, though. I just relate to that because I did have really low self-esteem, and I didn't really even realize it was low self-esteem. It's just patterns I've acknowledged now being able to look back. And another one that you were talking about that hit home, too, is I definitely know I had tendencies to emotionally blackmail especially in my late teens and early 20s. And I didn't mean to, I didn't know I was doing it, but I had been in Mm -hmm. such bad relationships that that's what (laughs) modeled for me. Like that's how I thought to show love in a certain way. And so it just came out. So for other listeners that are out there thinking, oh, elephant in the room are my own emotional blackmail tendencies. How do you start to heal your patterns in communication or however you're interacting with your loved ones so that you don't do that anymore? 
Well, first of all, when you're dealing with somebody who's emotionally blackmailing you, it's taking a, a deep breath, stepping back, letting them rant, let them say whatever they need to say. And it doesn't matter how they make it about you or say it's you or it's your fault. You just listen and you nod and you go, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. I love you anyways. And that shuts it down. Then in response to the other part is learning that if you've had a really bad day, coming home and taking it out on your partner and your children is not okay. Acknowledge the fact that you've had a bad day. Take a time out. And my husband taught me that one because, you know, I would come home and sometimes I would just be such a, a bull when I got home after a really stressful day at work. And I can remember one day he looked at me and he says, you know, this is not about the fact that dinner's not ready or the kids forgot to take out the garbage. He said, you've had a really bad day and you're trying to take it out on us. And he says, and you know what, honey, that's not OK. And I thought that that was a really loving way to get me to step back. And, and then I realized I did that a lot. And I realized that the kids were doing it, too. And we all had to sit down and have a conversation and say, you know, we need to be aware of the fact that if things have gone sideways today, that we need to acknowledge that before we walk through the door. And then we just need to be able to say, you know what, I just need some time to just gather my thoughts. So I'm going to go off to my room or I'm going to go and have a hot bath and then we'll talk later instead of this, you know, just blowing up and dumping all of this anxiety and stress that we've been dealing with during the day. And it makes a huge difference. And also when you do that and how your partner responds is really a deep insight into how they're dealing with things. I admire my partner for having the courage to say, you know what, I love you, but how you're speaking to me right now is not okay. And he didn't yell and scream and he didn't make an issue out of it. He just stood there and he waited for me to wind down and then very lovingly pointed that out to me. And I think that that creates a very effective communication pattern because we do, we take everything personally and women especially. We are so good at that. If our husbands try to make a comment about, you know, dinner wasn't that great, our first response is what, you don't like my cooking anymore? I'm not good enough for you anymore? Instead of just taking the statement for what it is. Yeah, you know, dinner's not that great today. Thanks for pointing that out to me. What do you think we can do to improve it? Big difference. Big difference. For sure. And having that awareness together can be so helpful because it takes the load off of ourselves individually. Having awareness in every single area of our life is hard enough as it is. It requires a lot of conscious thought and it's mm -hmm. constantly a work in progress. So if you can have somebody else to just hold up that mirror in a really loving way without holding it against you, that's so important. I remember yes. recently I did something similar to my husband. But I've been developing the awareness enough that it hits me a lot sooner. And I remember coming home and I was just frazzled and something had just happened. And it was something that I like found out about on my phone. I think my podcast went down on a platform or something like that. And I was just freaking out. And then all of a sudden my husband tries to talk to me and I just sort of snapped. And then I stood there like a deer in the headlights for the for a second. I was like, I just need you to let you know that anything I say in the next 15 minutes is going to be irrational and emotional. So if you want to talk to me, that's what you're going to get. Otherwise, I need to turn around. And he's just like, go, just go. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked outside and just took a walk and took care of my own energy first. And it was so helpful. Good for you. Good for you. That's definitely a good moment in consciousness. <laughs> so thank you for everything that you've shared today. For listeners who are resonating with you and interested in learning more about you, possibly working with you and about your book, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? 
go to www.athertondrenth.com, C-O-M, and Atherton is spelled A-T-H-E-R-T-O-N-D-R-E-N-T-H.com. That would be the easiest way to get in touch with me. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 110. So I timed this episode because I know the chaos that the holiday season can bring. It's supposed to be this time where we're in the present moment, enjoying time with our families, but because of just the way society is, so often it feels more like we're struggling with our finances to buy the right gifts, we're traveling across the country sometimes, or across a city or wherever. Travel itself can just be stressful, especially if you're bringing the kids along. Then there's personality clashes with people you haven't seen for months or even since last year around this time. So there's a lot being thrown at us. We get used to being in our own little bubbles of energy. And when we maintain that status quo, outside influences can really get to us. So one little hack to this is instead of thinking about it as being the most stressful time of the year, think about this time as your much needed inner peace fitness. It is always up to you to maintain your own inner peace. It's up to you to figure out yourself enough to know what you need to find that place of calm even when you're surrounded by chaos. If we never get out of our comfort zones and flex these muscles, then we're going to be those types of people that are so easily irritated because somebody knocked into us at the grocery store. This is what you need to be the best version of you. You need to know how to handle this stress and come back to that place of stillness. So when you're at your holiday dinner and your mom is triggering those wounds from childhood or your mother-in-law is saying little comments that feel like jabs, think of this as your spiritual gym. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you have some tools. It could be worth it to even spend a little time alone before you meet up with people and write down the tools that usually work for you. Find a little stillness in the morning. When I find stillness first thing in the morning, my whole day is different. So remember to self-care. Give yourself the sleep, the water, the nourishment, the stillness before you meet up with the rest of the family and see how that affects how you're able to show up. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to sign up for the morning mind love today. So the first thing you see in the morning is a little positive inspiration. Sign up at mindlove.com or text morning to 444-999. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with mind love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 